This is your favorite podcaster, Romina, and you just tuned in to RM Podcast FL. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome back to RM Podcast FL. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. I hope you guys are having a tremendous and a fabulous Tuesday or whatever day of the week you're listening to this episode. First and foremost, I want to thank you guys so, so much for tuning into our podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter. So this way you guys can also stay tuned to the new project that is about to launch soon. It's www.connectwithromina.com. And Romina is spelled R-O-M-I-N-A. So connectwithromina.com, go ahead and subscribe there, guys, so this way you will make sure to stay tuned to the new project that we're about to launch soon. And without losing any time, I'm actually going to go ahead and dive into today's episode. Today's guest is Adi Redzik. He is a neighbor of my Albanian neighbor and my Chicago neighbor. I don't want to give you guys too much details because I definitely want you to enjoy the episode, but today we actually touch base on some very important topics such as love attraction, such as how to move even a step closer to break down those walls with the right people and how we can actually be vulnerable and build strength from it. So without losing any time, I actually want you guys to enjoy this episode. If you would like to see the live video of it, go ahead and log into our YouTube channel or to our Facebook page or the website. It will be also on video. From now on, we're going to have videos as well with the interviews, you guys, because why not? We can do it. We're pretty. We're awesome. So this way you guys get to see our faces too, not just the voices. (laughs) Well, without losing any time, let's dive right in. I hope you guys enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. So, I have nothing else to say, but enjoy! Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in and investing your time to RM Podcast FL. I'm super excited about today's episode, you guys, because I have a neighbor. Um, Kind of a neighbor in Chicago, because he lives in Chicago. That's where I moved when I first moved to America, but kind of a neighbor in Albania, too. So without any hesitation, Adi, I'm going to introduce you to the audience. It's a pleasure having you here, and you take the stage. Tell us how awesome you are. Tell us young you to today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited for those same reasons, right? We have so, much, so many commonalities, uh, both from the Balkans and, and here. So, um, you know, I have the and you can relate to this, a quintessential immigrant story. You know, I came to America with 300 bucks. I was 17 year old. I dreamed of a better life. And um, I didn't realize that, you know, that life is going to require a lot of work and it's going to require a lot of challenges and obstacles. Uh, But, you know, obstacle is the way. So um, I got here, I went to school uh, and this passion for entrepreneurship, building businesses, helping people just kind of got a life of its own and led me to where I am today. So it's a, it's been uh, quite quite the journey, and uh, you know it's uh, and I, I, you know as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking how much you can relate to that. Of sort of you're like dropped into this world, and you're loving a lot of it. It's exciting, so many opportunities. At the same time, uh, you're not sure how to navigate. You know, I got here, I didn't know what a lot of things were. I was still thinking in Montenegrin. You know, I would make these odd. Uh, expressions in English and then you know and and it's kind of like you start you start building relationships and you start 
ch you know, chasing your dreams and things, things happen. Oh yeah, at 17. I mean, I thought I knew English too, because I moved here at 17 also in Oakland, Illinois, at 20 minutes from like downtown Chicago. I thought I knew English, but I had so many foreign moments. Um, I remember till this day, one of my good friends gives me trouble because we're talking and he's like, yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. I know what you're saying. Like, I'm feeling you. And I got so serious. I was like, you are not allowed to touch me. And everybody just looked and they said, the professor's like, Romina's having a foreign moment, you guys. Let's explain this expression. But so many of those that you just feel so lost and embarrassed for a second. And it just, it's like reprogramming your whole brain and reprogramming your lifestyle. It's not easy. No, it's, it's not. And, but then when you, you know, you go through things. So after I got here, you know, I was in high school, I was in Milwaukee first. I, I wanted to get to college education and I had really good grades and everything, but I had no money. So I checked like 150 colleges and uh, out of those 150 and this man calling them, begging for money, you know, uh, two came through. And then I ended up at a school up in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, but then as you, as I look back at those experiences, it's kind of like, okay, you're this foreigner and you're building your way and there's opportunities, but you really have to put in the work and you have to get creative and you have to be uh, resilient and very, very persistent. Uh, so even when you have a, you know, a language barrier, you kind of just push through it. You try another way to explain stuff. And then of course you don't take yourself seriously. And I have a lot of examples of, of like you're saying, you know, thinking someone's saying something or me saying words that, you know, don't mean what you're trying to say <laughs> right or calling so, everything the thingy or the thing that does the thing and people are just like i don't know what thing you're talking about <laughs> that's yep that you know happens and, and it's interesting looking back at it you know i've been here for a, a while now right and looking back at it i'm thinking wow what a journey and it's you know one one road leads to another and a lot of times you end up places you didn't think you're going to be at um, so it's, it's, it's really, it's hard to describe unless you lived it. Absolutely. So before we actually jump to what you actually do and dive into the questions, which I'm super excited for, I just thought of another question. What was your biggest culture shock when you moved to America? Was there like a moment that you're like, this is so different. Like, I don't know if I can cope with it easy or something that you're just like, is this is not normal. Why are they considering this normal? So it was, I think the biggest one, that's a, that's a great question. I think the biggest one was um, how unaware many, not all, but many Americans are about the rest of the world. So we grew up very much, uh, very familiar about the rest of the world. I, I used to, you know, we learned history, US history, revolution, democracy, all these different things. So you're just very, very aware. I get here and people look at me and say, well, where are you from? And I would tell them Montenegro and the answer would be, oh yeah, yeah, that place in Africa or South America. And I was like, okay, maybe not. So then I tried to describe and they wouldn't know where it is. And then I would get questions like, so did you have a TV? What about fridge? And uh, what about like, where'd you wash your clothes? And of course, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, in my other life, I was probably a comedian. So my responses were usually, no, you know, I beat, I beat my clothes by the rock, by the river. We, of course, did not have a fridge. We lived in caves. But questions like that were very, threw me off. Um, the level of some of that conservatism was, was quite, quite surprising. Um, and don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean people weren't welcoming or kind. 
but there was definitely the barrier of they don't exactly understand you. And sometimes I did get that feeling of I, I didn't like an entertainment for people as opposed to them really connecting uh, with me. So that was, that was quite, uh, you know, it required on my part. Of course, I'm a believer when in Rome, do as Romans. So no. I had to put myself out there, learn about the culture, get, you know, connected with it. Uh, so that way, because I'm the one who came in here. So I had to, you know, adjust, but it was, I didn't expect that. I've seen too many movies. I've heard, you know, I met some people while I was back in Europe. I met Americans and I just didn't think that it would be such a gap. And it was, it was, it took a while to adjust to it. That's so true. I would joke with it too. When people would be like, I will marry you. And I'll say like, you need 15 camels for my dad and five <laughs> ships and three goats. Like I will throw those jokes and some people would just take it so serious. I'm yeah. like, well, I looked at the brief and I'm like, oh my God, like, no, like, this is a joke. That's not how we work, you guys. <laughs> I mean, there were, there were things that I, that actually harmed me in a way because the people would look up Montenegro, the Balkans, even, you know, broader, and they would say, oh, you guys are all aggressive. Oh, and you have, you know, beer, you have scruff, you're aggressive. Or they would say sort of, oh, you don't treat women well or something. And I, I, I do the whole like a second take. I'm like, you talking to somebody behind me? because that's not, that's not true, right? And, and it was, so some of that, some of those preconceptions, biases um, could get in the way, but you know, with, with most people, uh, they wanna be open-minded and then you get to tell them what it's like, introduce them to the culture and explain that it's, it's rich, it's, it's diverse, it's, uh, um, it has of course the downsides like any other place, but it's also, um, uh, it can be great and people can connect with it. Absolutely. And um, I want to just add this to uh, a good friend of mine recently said, you know what, I finally found out why you're super interesting. I said, well, why? She said, because you're worth two people. You're one Albanian person, one American person. She's like, you merge those two together. And I guess the brain just kind of works different because you combine them. But we love talking about our culture. And like when we meet other foreigners, we're like, where are you from? How did you get here? Tell me your story. We get super excited because I feel like we relate somehow. And that's what's important to also build a connection to that, mm -hmm. that mirroring or that parallelism that we have with one another for a moment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit. You're a life and executive coach, uh, which that's not something very normal in the Balkan area. Um, typically Balkan areas, they want their sons to be either a doctor, engineer, or a lawyer. Um, that's just the presumption of it. How did you fall into yeah. this career? Tell me a little bit about your beginning stages and what do you exactly focus on and what you do now? Sure. So I actually, so you're right about the perceptions, you know, be a lawyer, be an engineer or, or a doctor. Um, my dad wish, still I think wishes that I were an engineer, uh, but I, I wanted to be a lawyer. So my dream was, you know, when I was a, back in the Balkans, I was involved with UNICEF, uh, UNDP, other nonprofits, NGOs, and I dreamed of I'm going to go to the U.S. I'm going to go get a law degree and then run for office and make an impact, public service, right? And then I, I got here and I studied political science, uh, you know, just as you're supposed to. Um, but there was a moment where I, I started uh, working at a center for spiritual development, leadership, and service. Um, I signed up to help turn around this uh, nonprofit. You know, I'm passionate about running organizations and making that impact. And I thought, well, this is great. This will be community organizing, uh, raising money, building leadership programs. It's going to help me to the next, the next step. While I was there, I kept having people, a lot of people talk to me about their life. 
concerns they had, whether it be roommate issues, career, leadership stuff, uh, emotional dysregulation, a variety of things. And I would just, it would come very naturally to me to give the advice. And then um, maybe a couple of years into it, and by this point, I had probably talked to over a thousand people each year. And I get a call from my brother. And he says to me, hey, I just watched somebody on TV uh, who reminds me of you. I'm like, who? He's like, this guy, Tony Robbins. I was like, who the hell is Tony Robbins? And I'm like, wait, 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 I know who that is. I used to go to Barnes and Noble uh, every weekend and just spend a couple of hours reading books. A couple of hours, a couple of days. Like I was, I would be there for hours. Oh, I and love just spacing what? out there, turning off your phone. The best. Yep. That's, I mean, I used to do that a lot at the time. And I remember seeing Tony's book, you know, Awaken the Giant Within. But because he looks so big, I thought he was some athlete who just finished, you know, his athletic career, maybe a football player, and he wrote a book. So I, that's when I heard the concept of life coach. Now, prior to this, I knew about, you know, executive coaching and consulting. And, uh, you know, I, I had done some of that in different capacities. But this life coach thing just kind of happened. And I was like, well, what happens if I tell that to people? And I, you know, when people reach out for some advice or mentoring, I just kind of tell them I'm a life coach and see where it leads. And then I talk to a few life coaches uh, to understand what's the process, how does it work, uh, only to essentially realize that I had a knack for it. I have a, as a friend of mine says, you have a gift of gab. You can talk and I have a, I am able to connect with people. That is what I realized after I started doing it. Then I also remember when I was a kid, I used to sit with my friends and say, okay, so what are your problems? Let's resolve them. And I studied psychology, but to me, that was always like studying human nature and why people do what they do, stuff like that. So all of that led to me kind of falling into coaching, realizing that I can make a greater impact if I work with people one-on-one -on -one or I do training programs as opposed to... Um, running for office or climbing the ladder through law school. And that's where I gave up on law school. Um, and I kind of, I started pursuing this path. And honestly, 90% uh, of my clients have been referrals. People, and for years, I've been doing this for, for a decade now. And people would just refer to each other and say, oh, you got to talk to this guy. And uh, one of my people I work with, he's high up in one of the um, bigger corporations in the US. I asked him, I said, so why would you work with me? What is it that's so unique? And he was like, you have the ability to cut to the core of any issue in such a fast way that it, he's like, I haven't seen this happen a lot. And, you know, I don't know where that comes from or it's just, it's, it exists. And I've been using it because I'm driven by that desire to help people and make an impact. So whenever a problem gets thrown your way, it might be from a client or just a personal problem, walk me through the process of your thinking. Do you freak out? Do you see, okay, this happened. Let's see if I can control it. Can I control Like what's your process of thinking? So I go to the core, right? I want to get to the root of anything. So whatever it is, I don't freak out. It could be the, you know, growing through a war does that to you. So you, you don't freak out as often. Uh, but it's a, uh, I, I get to the core. So I try to understand what is the motivation? Why is someone doing or saying or experiencing whatever it is they're experiencing? Or what is the root of the problem so we can solve that root, not necessarily the symptoms. And so uh, my thinking is I immediately zero in 
even if I'm, you know, and then, and then I ask questions. I try to talk to people and say, okay, tell me more. Well, what's driving? What, what are your fears? What are your concerns? Stuff like that. So I like to get very, very deep because that's where the truth lies. And then we bring it out and usually solutions then can be elegant. And oftentimes, more often than not, they're simple solutions to something that seemed like a much bigger problem. So I would also ask, we are humans and we are wired with emotions, like it or not. Sometimes we try to keep it under control. Sometimes they show up, but we all have a guard up to some point or another. Mm -hmm. How do you break that guard? Because let's say if somebody referred you, um, let's say my friend referred me for you, right? And I know you can be amazing. You have this awesome resume and everything, but I still have a little bit of my guard up because I, it's not easy for somebody to just break down and talk about their insecurities or about their deep issues because you go straight to the core. So you need to find a good way to get right in. What do you do to break somebody's guard up? And maybe this, this method that you're gonna share can be used into a relationship, onto a work environment. Like how can we help each other when we see that guard up to help even a brick at a time? Uh, well, I care, right? So that's, that's the core and that care leads to empathy. So empathy isn't me understanding your experience exactly. It's connecting to the emotion of your experience that I have also had. So if you're suffering, you know, you brought up relationships, let's say you just had a breakup. Yeah. I can't relate to your specific circumstances, but I can relate to the burn of a loss of a breakup. And by engaging through that and by caring to actually engage with you, as opposed to making it a transactional connection, uh, I think I help people feel comfortable. And, you know, someone said uh, to me, there is a, there's that quote by Maya Angelou about um, people will not remember everything you say or what you do, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And someone referred to me as that that's how I walk away, right? Whether I'm giving a talk or I'm talking or I'm working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's really, I want people to feel that someone cares so they can take the, you know, the guard, lower the guard, remove the shield, because the truth of who we are, real connection and real transformation exists behind the shield. And unless we let go of the shield, there's no way of growth. And so uh, I try to, to, to connect with people through that empathy and also by sharing my own experiences and demonstrating that, that humanity, right? We're in it together. We're all walking each other home. We're all figuring things out. None of us is perfect. So let's figure it out together. So somebody has to be vulnerable in order to actually open up for that. But you have to be vulnerable yourself to mirror and relate to them. Were you Absolutely. like, what, were you always a vulnerable person or did you have to go through something to learn how to become vulnerable? Because I think vulnerability is strength. Some people mm -hmm. might not agree with me. I just think it is because emotional nakedness is a whole thing that I practice. Mm -hmm. But what was your process of you becoming emotionally naked or vulnerable so you can relate to others? So uh, it has to do with, um, you know, it wasn't conscious. Some of it wasn't conscious. So when I look back at it, I'm like, oh, it makes sense that it went that way because vulnerability is difficult, uh, but vulnerability is strength. There is no, there's so much research out there that shows that is the strength because when you are able to, uh, we're emotional beings. We're not rational beings. We're emotional beings who attempt to be rational. So as such, we have to lean into our strength and our emotions, which is vulnerability, right? They are 
the strength. And so for me, it was, you know, I used to, I was always driven by freedom. So there's really two values I hold dear. One is freedom, the other is courage. And so you can't have real freedom without courage and you're not free unless you're courageous. So it's, it's uh, I use that, I always, there was this image of Bruce Lee, I think it was him who said that, that you're most free if you can get naked in front of a city square and not care. Now, it was a uh, metaphorical, of course, uh, but to me, I realized I want that freedom. I want to be me, comfortable in my own skin, uh, certain of where I stand, where my beliefs are, and op at the same time, open-minded for those beliefs to be changed and connect with others. So it kind of, that, that desire for that freedom led to me realizing, well, you, there's no freedom unless you handle your emotions and unless you're, you're authentic. And so one thing led to another, and then you of course learn skills and then you practice, how do you get, how do you get empathetic? How do you get uh, uh, compassion and vulnerable with people, uh, even if maybe you're scared? I mean, some of that is, is a practice of how do you take the shield time and time again and accept the fact that vulnerability, being vulnerable, you're gonna get hurt. It's, there's no question of if, it's just a question of when, but if you don't have that, you can't really experience all the other emotions, uh, full joy, love, uh, fulfillment, it, it, they go hand in hand. And so all of that kind of led to me practicing and figuring my stuff out. And of course, I had my moments of darkness <laughs> that allowed uh, you know, the cracks to happen so the light could come in. I love how you say the cracks to happen so the light could come in because I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and I said, this is going to sound very me, what I'm about to say, I said, but it comes from a good point of view. I said, I feel as everybody should go through a hard time in their life so they can actually grow and mm -hmm. change the perspective of their life. Because mm -hmm. if things just go perfect, the ocean is perfect, once a big wave comes in, you crumble, you're not going to be able to survive it. Like a skilled sailor is not made for the calm ocean, you know? But it is so true, though, like just, you know, sometimes we have to, it's just a mindset too. like you have to switch it. A crack lets the light in. And the, the thing is that that's also the way of life. So change is the only constant. Right. That's the only where we're in this um, blue marble that's spinning around itself and around the sun in this ever expanding cosmos. So when we, you're and we're here. Right. So change. That's where suffering comes in, in our inability to handle change or accept change causes a suffering. Now, difficult times are going to happen because think about it. If you have a wonderful life, it's kind of hard to be brave and let go of that comfort. And that's what a lot of people do. They stick with the comfort, even if that's not real bliss, even mm -hmm. if it's not fulfillment. So I, when I work with people and I encourage everybody, right, to, to look at the comfort and ask yourself, but what's the dream? What is the vision? What is that bliss? How do I make sure that I matter even if I'm on this ever-changing universe, you know, I live here. So how, and, and to do that, right, you have to take a leap. The ship wasn't made for the harbor. The ship was made to go out into the open and see what happens. Comes with difficulties, but those difficulties is what makes us strong and helps us actually figure out who the hell we are. Why are we here? Uh, how are we gonna make a difference? And, and where are we headed? So all of that, I mean, the difficulty, I mean, what is that? No pain, no gain? Yeah. It's just a question to be resisted. And there's people who resist dealing with stuff. And that's what they get stuck. So you see so many people who are just apathetic instead of feeling free and energy flowing. They're just kind of like, you know, just living in this 
box. And I understand it, why? But that's not a way to live. We're meant for so much more than that. That is so true though. And I feel like sometimes, unfortunately, people get worried about the judgment or get worried what other people would say. Like for example, with the podcast, they launched 2019, June 23rd, 2019. Mm -hmm. And I've become so much more vulnerable, sometimes sharing personal stories that at first I would be so hesitant. But, um, and I say this to the audience with the best intention ever. Once you let it out of your chest, it's like taken away off. And maybe let somebody else, like your experience, like your lesson, be somebody, your mistake be somebody else's lesson too. It's not easy. But what I wanted to ask you is, I'm a little stubborn. So if people, I have this weird rule. If people make a negative comment, I have a rule that if you don't increase my income, improve my life, or give me moral support, your opinion doesn't matter. But not a lot of people are like that because sometimes I let them get into it. So mm-hmm. what would you suggest to people making, maybe making like smaller steps to become vulnerable and be more open and mm-hmm. kind of protect themselves from the negativity or the negative comments or judgment that may come with them? Sure. So as a, a social being, right, we are designed to care about the approval because in our biology, you know, the way we see how we originated, uh, approval of a community means survival. And unfortunately, about there's research in adult development that shows about 64% of adults are caught up in doing just what the norms say and sticking with this approval, even if it's against their own higher being and against their own good. So uh, the hope is that people can get out of that. And, you know, for me, one of the best things I, I was, one of the advice that I received once was, show the world a middle finger and create your own reality. Because if it, that's, that's just the fact is, a third is gonna hate us no matter what, the third of people are gonna love us no matter what, and then the third is indifferent. And if, unless you're running for office, well, two thirds really don't matter. You focus on those that actually you know, and, uh, care about you. And Dr. Seuss uh, had the thing about um, uh, those, what, what, how did it go? It said, um, those who mind don't matter and those, and those who, who matter don't, don't mind. mind. And that's, I've been driven by that. So I think a way it starts is this desire to a decision. I want to see what my life is all about. And I want to live out my unique gene, right? Who I am, what I'm all about. And in order to do that, I have to be courageous. I have to take the time to figure out who that is and then give it to the world. The world doesn't need any more cookie cutters. The world needs us to figure out what makes us come to life yeah. and, and then go do that. And so... I think people start by kind of having deciding that this is the philosophy and then you start slowly, right? You, you choose to be authentic and then you share with people who are, will validate you invalidate not the performative stuff, not the masks, but who will validate who you are and what you're all about. And like you said, you know, it's uh, unless people are uh, directly benefiting your life, uh, you don't need their approval. You shouldn't want their approval because why would you think about if you have someone you know you love and you're listen, watching them seek approval from people who are never going to give them the approval why why does that matter why should you follow that path focus on those who will give you the approval who will love you for who you are so you know always be who you are regardless of what, what others want you to be and when you have that philosophy it's much easier to be vulnerable because here i am Take it or leave it. 
Yeah, but I also think of it as um, who are you for me to give you power to affect my emotions? Yep. It's all about giving power to somebody, but people don't realize that they give power to, and I'm not trying to offend nobody here, but you're, if you're a negative Nancy, I'm sorry, I don't want you in my life. Uh, just saying. Yeah. That's, but that's the thing. We decide what we want in our life and no one can make us you know, inferior without our consent. So that's exactly, it's about power. Why are you giving people who do so little for you? Why are you giving them so much power to control your life? Very because, true. And you know what's one of the five regrets of the dying? Is caring so much what everybody else thought instead of following their bliss. Yeah, they worry too much about the people. Mm -hmm. And that's not, a, because the, you know what's the sad thing? The saddest thing of all of it? Not only do we not live out who we truly are when we do that, but we usually miss all the people that were there for us and loved us and approved of us and that we should have cared, right? Because we're so caught up getting the approval of those who never approve of us anyway, that we miss those who are actually there. And that's, that's such a loss for everybody. And it's, it's a shame. So I have another question. Um, this might be more towards the balcony area oriented. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just intrigued with your answer. So we have, at least in Albania, and like I know, um, I have a lot of Turkish friends and Mediterranean friends. They have this, if something good really happens, like you have to watch out for the Nazar or like for the bad luck to come because mm -hmm. there's no way that everything is going to be positive in your life. Like you have to watch out for the karma or whatever. Mm -hmm. How, and this, like I said, this might be just focused on that. I know a lot of places in Asia, like, Armenia, you know, uh, Ukraine, they have this kind of culture too, mm -hmm. the, blue, uh, the blue eye. How do we help these people change their perception? And they might be uh, first generation Americans too, and they have the immigrant families that are always the mom mm -hmm. and the dad, you know, check, check, like test them. Mm -hmm. How do we actually practice law of attraction and how do we tell this negative negativity or this idea to act off pretty much and just allow only positive within us? Mm -hmm. So I think you, you brought up several things. So at the very first, I know it was a loaded question. <laughs> it's okay. We'll we'll just dissect it. So um, this idea of you know there's always a second shoe is going to drop. Um, that's a bit of the way we are wired as humans, and you see some of that heightened in communities and in parts of the world where there was a lot of traumatic events generationally. So you look at the Balkans, you look at Eastern Europe, lots of wars, lots of poverty uh, for centuries. And so when you have that um, genetically, people are taught and then that enters the uh, culture, they're taught that, well, where's the tiger? There's gonna be, it's a beautiful forest, but there's gonna be tiger that's gonna attack me. So we have to watch for that. So that's part of it. The other part is some of the very rigid religious norms uh, led to people creating duality, good or bad, right? But when you- um, So black uh, and white, no in the middle. Yep, but if you take a look at the, you know, the, yin and yang so the circle right that has both black in the white area and white in the black area it talks about that balance out of two one right it's the, about wholeness so you can't have one without the other how do you know something is happiness if you haven't seen sadness and so you embrace both but then you create a bottom line for both of those things which is goodness when you recognize that in the universe we don't have to try we just are and we are fundamentally good. So if you built your life on that, good or bad are just circumstances that we uh, handle depending on our set of beliefs or our judgment. Something that I might think is good, you might not and vice versa. So 
a lot of this is, you know, when we don't do build this kind of foundation of goodness and recognize duality and merge it into one, we, we're then driven by fear. What if it's a tiger? But what if it's not a tiger? What if it's a squirrel? We don't know that, but we are letting fear drive us. And as a result, we get stuck. As a result, we get stuck into negativity. And here's a problem with the brain. The brain doesn't know what's good or bad. The brain just knows, repeats what it's taught. So that's why you see some people, you, you know, uh, Debbie Downer, Negative Nancy, right? Who keep doing the same thing. And here's the crazy thing about that. They actually feel uh, validated through that process because that is all people know. And then you add, if you add cultural norms like in Eastern Europe, uh, a lot of fatalism, this idea of, um, the time, missing the time that never was, but it was so great, and hoping for the future that never will be because, you know, those, those, those are mechanisms how people live through difficult situations. That's how people cope. But when you put all that together, at the core, it's fear. At the core, we are driven by fear. Something bad is going to happen, so I better just be on the lookout. The problem with that is, well, you're wasting your life if you're living with fear, and you're not living fully because you're so stuck in the bad stuff that can happen. Now, you brought up the law of attraction. If you're looking for bad stuff to happen, it will happen. Now, bad stuff, painful experiences are going to happen regardless, but the number of them is going to amplify if you're focusing on it. Think of this, think of it this way. I'm looking at the street down. If I see a car uh, that I like, and I start thinking about that car, I think, oh my God, I, I saw Jeep Wrangler earlier and I'm gonna keep thinking about it, thinking about it. I'm gonna start seeing them everywhere. Try the exercise, it's gonna happen. So how is that different from uh, thinking about kindness or- Or not even that, we can try a bright yellow car. If you're exactly. listening to this episode and you see a bright yellow car today, it's because it's programmed in your brain right now that you're scanning for it. Yep. That's exactly, and so the law of attraction work, works very much in a similar way, is you encounter things you're expecting you will encounter. And I'll, I'll give you an ex example from my own experience. I came here with 300 bucks. Everybody around me said, you're never gonna make it. <laughs> I paid about a quarter of a million in education, <laughs> right? It happened, right, you find a way. But because that's the thing with the law of attraction, it's you want to desire it, but the second part of it is you have an expectation it's going to happen. There are no doubts. And so when you think about the yellow car, yellow color to begin at all, it, your, your mind immediately starts looking for it. Same goes with if you don't want to see yellow color, but you want to see difficulty, you want to see tiger. Well, tiger is going to be happening. Now, there's a, the challenge with the law of attraction is that you have to do some internal work to readjust. So if you've gone through trauma or if you've had years of a particular way of thinking, you have to rewire. So 90% of who we are is wired in the first seven years of our life. So seven years? Seven, first seven. So unless we do the work, the way, the way people actually frequently rewire is they encounter a difficulty and they like, it hits them. This doesn't work for me. And the, the rewiring starts. Very frequent thing is in relationships, romantic relationships. We act out a lot of things that we saw in the childhood. It's subconscious. We don't actually, we're not consciously doing it. 
But then when you, let's say you have a lot of failed relationships, you start awakening. You're like, wait a second, this obviously I'm doing the same thing over and over, why? And that's where we can rewire. So that way the brain could do over and over things that are actually beneficial to us. But it's, it does require some work. So I see a lot of people talk about law of attraction, like, oh, you just do this, you just write yourself a million dollars and you just say that. Well, if you don't believe you're good enough to have a million dollars, you're not gonna get it. You can say it until cows come home, it's not gonna work. You actually have to emotionally connect with it. And that requires emotional work, which takes us back to people being scared of that vulnerability and scared to do that work because it requires change. It requires change of identity. I, uh, I'm laughing at the million dollar check because my friend did that. She's like, in two years, I'm gonna make a million dollars. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay, how much do you make now a month? And she mm -hmm. said, 2,800. And I said, so let's do some math. And she was really mad at me, but I'm yeah, like, I understand the law of attraction, but the same time you can believe in the law of attraction. You can call out the goods. You can call out to, to, you know, to the universe, what you want, and it will get back to you, but you also need to put in the work. Like That's nothing is going to be handed to you. Like I cannot sit here and be like, universe, please give me $10,000. Cause I feel like taking an awesome vacation and universe is going to be like, you're lazy you're not getting nothing like you need to put in the work but if you put in the work i'll make things work for you so maybe you'll get a contract that will be that much you, like you have to also work on it not just believe in a superpower so motion creates action and action creates results right if you're so there's the concept of you know there's in in a spiritual world there are people who kind of like navel gaze right they're just waiting for god to appear well that doesn't, things don't just appear. You have to take action, right? That's why we have these bodies and that's why we have the ability to take some sort of action. And that's, you know, so that's why I see, I see a lot of people um, don't do the deeper work. They read a book or they take a course or something and they think, oh my God, this is going to, this is going to transform my life. It can, if you're willing to go deeper with it and actually use it to transform your life. Otherwise, all you got was an adrenaline boost. You got hopeful, you got excited. It's like a honeymoon. You have a little bit of a bump and you're so, you have this energy, but it, it's not going to keep going or growing unless you actually shift things within. I mean, in the, in the Buddhist tradition, there's a, in Tao Te Ching too, there is a thinking about when the, when the internal world has come into order, the external world will as well. And, and that couldn't be more true. That um, this conversation, since we talked about Tony Robbins a little bit earlier. <laughs> so I've been on two of his conferences and yes, he is giant. I'm five three, so I look like a midget in front of him. Like the guy's big, okay? But it is so true though, because one conference, like I thought that first conference I attended, it changed my life. Came to find out it really didn't because he had us do this practice that um, write the name of three people that hurt in your, like that hurt you in your life. And mm -hmm. I actually did an episode on this too, which that's like the most vulnerable episode that I've launched. And I wrote my ex-husband's name three times. I was really mad. And now he mm -hmm. said, you have to talk to this person. I was like, okay, I, I had, I was like, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to tell him off, you know, I'm awesome. He's not. Well, a year went by and I was going to go to Tony Robbins second seminar in Atlanta where I used to live. And I was like, now I feel like a piece of crap because I'm going to see him again. And Tony doesn't even know I was at the first conference, but I was like, if you repeat something of this, I'm going to be like, um, yeah, I took your advice, but I didn't follow it. 
So I, I decided to actually have a coffee with my ex and let that negativity and let that, you know, take action. Mm -hmm. We let that all out. And I went to Tony Robbins conference and I felt so proud. Like he knew me, who I was, and he, you know, he knew what affected in me. But it is still true that because you can get all the resources. And what I'm trying to get to this is that you can get all the resources that you need. And you, somebody can tell you one plus one equals two. Here's the formula of success. Here's how you grow. Here's how you do this. But unless you take action, unless you do something with it, it's just going to collect dust and it's never going to, you know, it's not going to do nothing for you. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. It's, that's why, I mean, there's a lot of people and I mean, I did this in my own life, you know, reading all these books and everything else, but at some point it's, you know, you should or get off the pot. At some point you, you have to take that action. And the, the big thing, you know, when I talk to when people ask me, why should I have a coach on an ongoing basis? I'm like, because you have an accountability buddy. It's like sparring and boxing, right? You have a, a coach who's going to see your blind spots and maybe knock you occasionally. We'll give you the support. We'll teach you the moves and everything. But most importantly, we'll keep you in shape and accountable. So that way, one of the reasons you did it, right? Because you were making a full circle. You were returning to the place where you were told to do something. And you're like, well, I, I got to do something. You know, and that's what I literally me. felt like he was going to look at me and mm -hmm. I have a picture with he's a, a little bit in distance. He went by like he like actually high five, which I felt really cool at the moment. I was like, I knew he high five me because I did what he told me. Like in my head, I processed it like that. You guys might think it's silly, but it worked for me. That's what I'm saying. Like it works. Take action. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what it's, and it doesn't matter how much. And this is something people get caught up. So they write big to do list. Actually, it's more effective inch forward. 1% change doesn't happen overnight. Change happens 1% every day. And that's, that's a, a, if you focus on that, you're actually far more likely to affect change in your life than trying to uh, change everything about yourself in a week. It doesn't, you may have an aha moment that leads to that change and we've all been there, but you don't, change happens, practice, 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 right? Amateur versus professional. Amateur runs for a week or two and says, oh my God, I'm achieving these things. A professional keeps running. So before we actually cut this part, because uh, this is a lot of information, you guys, and I want you to process it correctly. Um, I want you to re-listen to the episode, as a matter of fact, because this is some really great information. This is part one. I do have a final question for part one, but don't forget, you guys, on Thursday, we're going to launch part two. Or if you're listening to this after it's launched, listen to it right after another. So part one and part two. So last question for part one, Adi. You did mention everybody has that aha moment at some point. Can you talk us about your aha moment that changed your life or your perspective on seeing the world? Um, it was a friend of mine told me uh, years ago, um, you have one job every single day, which is to make yourself happy. When you get on an airplane, they don't tell you put an oxygen mask on everybody else. They tell you in case of low cabin pressure, take the oxygen mask, put it in yourself first, because unless you do that, you will not have oxygen and you will not be able to take care of anybody else. So unless you take care of yourself first, truly, holistically, deeply, in every way, you are not taking care of others. You, you just can't. And so that, I love the oxygen mask analogy. Um, that really changed my life because especially coming from the Balkans, we grew up with this community what does the world think social norms how should i be then you get here and you're trying to adjust to that to fit in 
so I was very much focused on everybody else until, and then I call the service, right? Until it occurred to me, I can't do this unless I get the oxygen first. And that was a very much a, a wow moment. It was very much an aha moment that changed my life. So it's okay sometimes to ignore the surrounding noises and focus on yourself because people have a hard time with it. They're like, well, if I ignore this person or if I'm mean to this person, they're gonna, you know, they're not gonna help me. Is it, it's okay to ex people or exit people from your life for a couple of months or even for a long term? It's that there's a difference between mean and taking care of yourself. So mean, you don't have to be rude about something. You don't have to be angry about it. Uh, you can just express what your needs are. And if certain situations, people, jobs, you name it, aren't serving you, aren't giving you oxygen, you have to make a change. And there's more than one way to make a change, but you make a change. Think of it in a movie theater. You're watching a movie. In this life, we're watching a movie of our life. We're watching our life. Imagine you're watching a movie in a movie theater and someone is doing this. Blah, 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 blah to you. What are you going to do? You're going to say, I don't really want to be mean to you. No, you're going to be like, what the hell are you doing? I'm trying to watch my movie. Well, shut up, right? And so we have to do that. And here's the thing. If we don't, how can we love somebody else? How can we take care of someone else if we are incapable of taking care of ourselves? We can't. It's not real. It's not authentic. And so that's why it does matter and uh, to, to, to take care of ourselves first. And I think it's awesome that we're kind of ending the first part of this because we had like a, a long conversation before we even started recording. That's what we're talking about, like loving yourself, putting yourself first, knowing what you deserve, what you don't deserve and standing up for your, you know, for your own norms or whatever you want. So this way it's your life in your own terms. Like I say, you're the CEO of your life. Hire and fire however you need to. Like, you know, not everybody should get your benefits. Just saying, you know, you need to stay with the company 90 days sometimes to get benefits. So think about it, guys. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> awesome. So we're going to jump to part two here. And for you guys, make sure to stay tuned and go ahead and look at our Thursday's episode. Today is October 13th, October 15th. You guys, we have the second part and I'll put up all the links for Adi. So you guys can definitely go ahead and connect with him as on LinkedIn, check out his website. And also, especially after listening to part two, I'm sure you want to hire him, just saying. So thank <laughs> you so much, Adi, for being on the Tuesday's episode and we'll see you back on Thursday. Sounds good, it's my pleasure.